Welcome back to Season 2 of The Power Supply, your <laughs> weekly digest of technology with your hosts, David Lei and Ziyang Tsui. Let's get started. Hey guys, so we're going to start first with the Huawei situation in the United States. Uh, what do you mean, Huawei? Uh, Huawei situation. So recently, uh, during the CS 2018, Huawei planned to have a keynote address at the conference to get out uh, news about the release of the P20 and the P20 Pro. However, um, after that conference, uh, carriers such as Verizon, AT&T, and big companies, big uh, retailers such as Best Buy, started, uh, I guess, dropping plans to sell the Huawei smartphone due to political pressure. Oh, man. So, uh, why is that? Uh, well, give us some background about Huawei real quick. So, Huawei is a Chinese smartphone company that started selling uh, like really cheap Android smartphones. But recently, has, it has expanded drastically to, I guess, compete with the technology giants like the Samsung and Apple. One of its newest smartphones, the P20 Pro and P20X, is smart enough to drive a porch for a while. Oh, so it's another smartphone brand. So guys, Huawei is one of the one of the, uh, the top smartphone uh, competitors uh, on the market, and they're just behind Apple and Samsung, which is impressive for a company that started with two thousand five hundred bucks in nineteen eighty seven, grew now into a multi billion dollar company. Yeah. yeah. So, but, but there's a problem with with it. Uh, at, at least that's what the U.S. government claims. All right. They uh, claim that Huawei might be spying on the United States through its products, specifically its telecommunications equipment. So is that all the political? Uh, is that the political conflict that's going on? Is that it? Yeah. In uh, 2012, which is six years ago, the House Intelligence Committee reported that both Huawei and ZTE, another Chinese smartphone company pose a threat to national security and u.s companies were banned from buying huawei equipment however the key thing is right now huawei uh the u.s government is uh, i guess using its political leverage to i guess influence companies and uh, and uh carriers not to sell huawei smartphones but right now zte smartphones are completely fine they're uh sold in the market and there's nothing against them. So, like, that's a big question. Why Huawei but not ZTE? And uh, we remember that uh, many iPhones are made in China, too. So why is this company in particular being targeted and not like any other made-in-China brand, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and in addition, like, Huawei phones are good enough for everyone else. They're good enough for other countries, such as Europe, France, uh, not countries, uh, other nations in Europe that include like France, Italy, just any other country but the United States, Australia, and South Korea, at, at the moment at least. So why why does the U.S. government have such a problem with it? And does it have something to do with a recent president who uh, started a trade war with the Chinese government? Could, could that be a bilateral product of uh, that trade war? Well, um... Apparently, the CEO of Huawei, um, 
his name's Ren Zhenfei, was formerly a Chinese military personnel. So they have their CEO has a rough background with uh well it's military was military personnel. So the perception of a military personnel selling phones to an American society almost seems a little too sketchy, even though it's not fair to judge someone based judge a company based on their CEO. But Yeah, I think that's a valid point. Um and and like why why ban all Huawei products entirely when only the telecommunications network is a threat to the United States? Why ban their computers, why ban everything else? Uh, like I guess uh one could say that anything for the sake of national security, but isn't ZTE uh, isn't the ZTE company a threat to national security? Why aren't they being banned? Why do U.S. carriers still sell ZTE phones, and why are they uh what and why are ZTE phones such a favorite of prepaid service providers such as AT and T? Well, I don't know, but if you guys are interested in buying a ZTE, uh, I mean Huawei phone, uh. They're like, uh, so they come in two models, right? Like an iPhone RX or like the Samsung. They're like, uh, six hundred for the smaller, the P twenty, and then the P twenty Pro seven hundred. Uh, it's a little on the higher price, but still way cheaper than the iPhone X and the uh, Note nine. But and if you guys love photography, this is the phone for you because its camera is just amazing. So if you are if you want to check it out, you can guys you guys can go on to Amazon, Best Buy, uh, Newegg, and V and H if you want to check out these phones. Oh yeah, please note that only like mostly it's the cell phone carriers that are I guess pressured not into selling, uh, the Huawei, uh, big chains like Amazon still do sell it. Recently, actually, Best Buy, uh, due to political pressure, stopped selling Huawei's entirely, which is uh. Pretty interesting. Oh, not yet. It's really? still selling it, but it won't be selling soon. So mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, Huawei is, uh, I guess, requesting a FTC hearing, a Federal Trades Committee hearing, uh, to fight the U.S. national security ban. This is as of August twenty eighth. So they're uh, requesting such a hearing to try to get back into the market and try to introduce their smartphones in order to make the market more competitive, which would lower prices for consumers. Well, like, uh, uh, what they claim yeah, at least. Yeah, iPhone X prices are just getting too high, man. Yeah, talk yeah. about that. The new iPhone's, what, going to be like 1400 bucks or oh something? Oh my goodness, that's way too much. That, like, but, uh, you know, if, if we live in a, capitalist, in a capitalist world, what can we say, you know? And, like... Okay, let's think about it. iPhone, like, I know we're going off topic, but iPhone, $1,400, that's as much as a Mac. You're basically trading a, a computer, a laptop that you can use to type. I, I just don't understand it. Like, you're trading so much just for a new iPhone that maybe can have better specs, can run 30% faster. I don't know, man. But that's, the, that's the Apple for you, guys. All yeah. right. That's true. Alright, so, uh, last August, in August, uh, somebody, uh, some group of people hacked an airline. What airline? Uh, British Airways. And that went on for a pretty long time. 
actually. They gathered around 380,000 people's credit card numbers and their CVVs. Yeah, to be specific, uh, the dates uh, that the attacks occurred was between uh, August 24th and September 5th, which is inclusive, and uh, per, uh, the British Airways claims that anyone who made a card payment between those two dates are at risk. So how do, uh, so the thing about getting stuff from an airline is pretty hard because they you have to be present at the purchase on your computer in order to swipe that information. So their guesses on how these hackers ad- ad- obtained the information is through a supply called a third party through um third party ads or software in action on the website during the time of purchases also known as a supply chain attack okay so what information did uh the hackers obtain from the british airlines so whenever you make a purchase they're gonna like ask for your credit card number your phone number and your email and everything and now since they were present at the time of your purchase they now have your phone number your email probably your birthday, and everything else associated with your credit card. Yeah, so they have uh, your credit card details that include your card numbers, expiration dates, and the three-digit CVV codes. And what's particularly interesting about that is that um, CVV codes aren't meant to be stored by the companies. So that means that um, the hackers probably lifted the details live. Yeah, through a supply chain attack. A supply chain attack, also called a value chain or third-party attack, occurs when someone infiltrates your system through an outside partner or provider with access to your systems and data. Data? (laughs) Yeah, so basically, they shoplifted your stuff while you were buying. And this is insane because you should... You would think that after, like, all the airline's mistakes that they would have a higher security, but apparently online we're still making mistakes. And uh, during an interview between BBC and uh, cybersecurity expert uh, Professor Alan Woodward from the University of Surrey, uh, he claims that this hack, this uh, lift, was a direct, either a direct compromise of their booking site or it was because of a third-party provider. So, therefore, he, he added that uh, such private firms like British Airlines need to vet their third-party code so that their websites can be safe, uh, so that their websites can uh, be safe from such a hack. He compared it to a house during a, uh, when a robber attacks a house. And I quote, you can put the strongest lock you like on the front door, he said. But if the builders have left a ladder to the window, where do you think the burglars will go? Even though British Airlines uh, have lots of protection from their websites, third-party codes and third-party providers are like a ladder left uh, up to a window. They uh, give hackers an opportunity to access such important data. And for our third topic, we are going to discuss the massive net being deployed to pick up plastic in the Pacific Ocean. David, can you update us on that? All right, so um, this project called The Ocean Cleanup uh, 
was launched on September 8th in Alameda, California. Okay. And their creators say that this project can remove 90% of the plastic in the giant Great Pacific Garbage Patch by 2040. So what exactly is this project? What are they trying to do? Well, is it straight up just a net? It's a net. Right. It's a 600 meter long net. And what its purpose is, is to scoop up all the plastic in the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. Now, for those of you that don't know what the Great Pacific Garbage Patch is, it's a garbage patch of plastic, roughly twice the that has the area of two Texases, all right? So think about that. Texas is pretty big. Now, there's just a giant patch of plastic waste floating in the ocean. Uh... Yeah, two Texases and about that contains about 1.8 trillion pieces of debris, largely consisting of buoyant plastics like polyethylene and poly polypropylene floating at the surface. Now, most of those pieces are smaller than half a centimeter, but by mass, more than 90% of the patch is made up of pieces 5 centimeters or bigger. So this net is going to scoop up those big pieces but the thing is what about those small pieces that have broken down so much that they just float through the net yeah so if, um this project was first proposed in 2002 in a ted talk by uh boyan slat a dutch born investor who was only 18 years old at that time and right now the project which is based in uh delft netherlands has drawn over uh, 30 million in donations from sponsors for philanthropists philanthropists and a crowdfunding campaign yeah so uh so how it works it's a 600 meter long line of unmoored booms that act as an artificial shoreline traveling with the wind waves and ocean currents while rounding up plastic debris beneath the surface the boom drags a three meter long skirt and through which only the tiniest bits of plastic can escape. Now that's what concerns me. That time that how much plastic is gonna escape because it's broken down. Mm -hmm. Current well, currents will naturally push the line of the booms into a U shape, hurting the plastic particles so they're easier to collect. Yeah, and uh, what concerns you also concerns many researchers who worry about the possible bad effects on ocean life, or who say that the project doesn't address the issue, which is the microplastics that are smaller than half a centimeter. And it doesn't address the issue of too much plastic waste in the first place. I think, well, it, I think it would be much more difficult to change the habits of nearly 8 billion humans who, like, don't mind polluting the world, who would rather, you know, like, use their straws, use their plastics, than give it up for a while. And I think this project, like, there might be some minor risks of, uh, I guess, uh, hurting wildlife, but it's better than doing nothing. I think um, this project will definitely impact the amount of plastic in the ocean and definitely will, I guess, decrease the amount of junk there is. I mean, I know it's well-intentioned and we're trying to clean up a giant garbage patch of just plastic, but... The thing is, some ocean, uh, let's see, well, let's see over here, some, uh, physical oceanographers, uh, 
worried that this net could accumulate marine hitchhikers from algae to barnacles and then other kinds of craters, adding dragon stretch, which could alter the hydrodynamics of the system. And um, another thing that relates to that is that whether this hurting the plastic will promote a new tiny e ecosystem among the trash. And then are we going to start scooping, scooping up the wildlife now too? That's definitely a true and that's a definitely a big concern. Uh, however, right now we, can, we can't do anything about micro or nanoplastic particles. So why don't we first remove the bulk plastics or like the three centimeter long plastics before we can uh, before it can ground to dummy dust like before it can become uh, really small like the micro and nanoplastic particles. Ultimately, I think this is not the best idea, but it's a great attempt at humans trying to mitigate the harm they've tried they've implemented on the world. For me, I think. Uh, I'm gonna quote Theodore Roosevelt. I like. I'm gonna paraphrase a quote. I think it's something like, "The best thing to do, is the best thing. Is is the right thing. The second best thing to do is the wrong thing. The worst thing to do is nothing." And I think. Wise I, words. Wise yeah, words. I, I think in this case, uh, testing out this ocean cleanup system, can might bring positive impacts. Might bring not so positive impacts. But I think it, it, it is really important to test it out and see where it goes so, can we, so we can improve it for the future. Um, this project, um, I'm going to say this project, I would support this project. And I personally have mixed feelings about it, but if we're trying to get back, to give back to the world or try to... Um, help the world get better then I guess I will too. Okay. Alright, so to end off our episode, we're gonna talk about some some really another cute. robot. Yeah. But not any robot, not like Alexa. Uh but a more personal robot. You see, Alexa can only go so far to just tell you, maybe sing you a song, drop you a beat, but can it hug you? This robot can. And this robot, developed by Max, the Max Planck Institute for Intelligent Systems in Stuttgart, Germany, has de designed a Baymax-like hugging robot. And so far, it's a pretty amusing gimmick, and it gives you a hug. So what's better than that, right? Yeah, uh, it's called the Huggybot. And it's a modified PRT robot that is about as tall as an average human. And it can be configured to have extra soft layers that are made of foam, polyester, and other materials. materials. And its hugs can be further modified according to the firmness of the hug you desire. And even with options to have the hugs to be heated, which is really cool. Yeah, so next time you're down and depressed from school, just think about this robot and one day how you can hug it. So that's it for today. Uh, this was our first episode of Season 2, Power Supply Episode 1. And uh, we had a great time. We are really happy to be back from our summer break and we are excited for the new things to come. See ya, Ziyang out. And David Lay signing off.